I'll try it again. Good morning. Turn to Psalm 56, 5, 6. Open your Bible to the middle. You know, it should be pretty close. And uh, while you're looking for that, let me ask a question. What are you afraid of? Oh, for my wife, it's snakes. I hate snakes. Uh, other people, it's having to pay $6 for a dozen eggs. You know, inflation, butter going through the roof. Uh, the cost of housing going nuts, uh, loans off the chart. For others, it's uh, politicians. Uh, I mean, I, you watch the same commercials I watch? I mean, it's everything is just going to totally go to hell if you vote for this particular person, you know? And they just try to scare you uh, and, and, you know, tell why I guess they're the safe choice. Uh, and then this is Halloween week. And the, the, a lot of the uh, media is uh, featuring horror films. Uh, now, I don't know, I, I have a, do a daughter-in-law who just absolutely loves horror films. I have no, you know, when I was a boy, we had films about like giant ants or giant spiders. And now it's like stuff about slashers and people killing and, you know, cannibals and zombies and uh, all, all, everything is just designed to try to, to scare us, and it just is hard for me to be entertained by that because it does, uh, that stuff does scare me. Uh, not in particular, but just the whole genre. Uh, and so we're talking about fear today, and uh, it's a, you'll see it's a, is it up here? Is it working? Yeah, seven points in Scrabble. Uh, and there's a lot to be afraid of. Here's a quote that was in Apple News this week. Middle school parents are afraid of everything, including their own children. Uh, last year in America, we had 700,000 suicides. But one of the things that shocked me was it was the second cause, leading cause of death for children 10 to 15. Second leading cause of death for young 10 to 14, 15-year-olds is suicide. I, I mean, it's it just, it is scary. And there was a quote uh, in a report that said, ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. I have uh, extended family, and I have uh, people in my family, uh, high school students, who are going to counseling every week, who are antidepressants, who are struggling at times just with uh, trying to kind of uh, live in that kind of social media nightmare that high school is. And it's just a, a time that's a difficult time for people often to cope with. What does it feel like, Psalm 55? Just listen to this. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and rest. I'd fly away to the quiet of the wilderness. In uh, Stanfield, Stanwood, uh, no. Uh, you just want to get away from it. How are we going to get rid of fear? How can we put the X through the word here? 
and how can we uh, uh, get rid of it? Psalm 56. It's interesting that, in, I guess, because 55 was right before it, and he says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and then in the inscription on Psalm 57, uh, 60 says, this is to be sung to the tune on, of, on the wings of a dove. So he's going back to what he was just put in the previous psalm, and it's a song from Israel's worship, uh, as David talks about part of the 23rd psalm, which was he talked about, I, I uh, have experienced the presence of my enemies. He talks about a, a psalm regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, David, at that point of his life, was on the run because uh, Saul was trying to kill him. Saul had thrown a spear at him, actually, tried to kill him in front of the whole court, and David is literally running for his life, so much so that he goes into the area, probably wasn't safe, the Philistines capture him, and he has to pretend like he's crazy. Now, let's remember the Philistines and David, and let's think about a guy named Goliath, who was the Philistine, you know, champion, and what David did to their champion, and now they actually caught this guy. They just captured Osama bin Laden. You know, they got the guy that they were fearful of and hated, and now they've got him. And David, you know, the trauma of what it must have been like in that moment is, is writing to us about fear because it's palpable at times like that. Uh, Fulton Orsler says, we crucify ourselves between two thieves. Regret for yesterday but also a uh, fear of tomorrow. If you talk to uh, people, I, in my last church, I had 40 therapists who went to church there, including most of the faculty at Rosemead School of Psychology. And uh, as I would talk to them about different things and ask about, well, what is it that causes uh, uh, so much you know, concern? Why are people having so much struggle with anxiety? One of the things you find out is for a lot of people, uh, the anxiety really is fueled by either pain and struggle or fear of the future. And a lot of people just really can kind of get stuck in numbing fears. In addition to that, there are people like uh, Pastor Adrian Rogers uh, who used to teach that the Bible says we have three great enemies in our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now let's think about life for a minute world, flesh, and devil, which one you think is strongest when you're in college? I'm going to guess the flesh is probably going to be the physical temptation is going to be more pronounced in those years. Well, let's suppose now you're established, you've got a family, you've got a nice job and house. Now in midlife, what is it? Well, that's probably more the world. Romans 12, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to have a nice car, trying to have good clothes, trying to have the stuff that you need to, to look like you're, you're doing okay in life. And, uh, and, but what is it in old age? And Rogers used to preach that it, it's the devil. He believed it was the devil himself who comes at you as you get older. And he comes at you with numbing fears. Is my health going to be okay? Am I going to have enough money? How come my kids don't come and see me? How come nobody calls? Uh, how am I going to pay this bill? And all of these things, just we feed on the, the worry and the, and the fear of it all can become all-consuming at times to people. And they just become almost numbed and, and hardly want to go out of the house because of all the fears that they're wrestling with in their, 
own life. Verse 1. Father, as we come to it, we pray your blessing on it. It's your word. Your spirit inspired it. You gave it for us to learn from. So would you now speak to us so we clearly understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. Have you ever just had people be mean to you? You ever have uh, people, I had a friend who was telling me about one night he was just down doing some work in the, in the family room and his, uh, his uh, 16-year-old son just came downstairs and he just came to his father and he sat in his father's lap just weeping. What was it? Well, that girl he liked so much. He was standing around the corner and she was talking to one of her friends and she was talking about how she was trying to be nice to him, but she really didn't like him very much. It broke his heart. He just got very upset by it, very hurt by it. My grandkids just had homecoming weekend, you know? It's a devastating thing for some kids to, to live through those experiences. And, and sometimes we forget that it, it's hard. It's hard when you're younger. And I didn't have to live with social media. I didn't have to live with the mean stuff that people, the trolls put online about you and the, the cruelty of people uh, for no reason to you. He, he says, God, I need mercy because people are hounding me. My foes are attacking me all day long. I've had, you know, 50 years of doing this, I've had a lot of people come and talk to me about stuff, and a lot of it is workplace-related, where... I remember one man coming to me and saying, it's really hard at work because we're doing downsizing right now, and my job is to call all these people in and let them go, tell them that they're losing their job. And what's really hard for me, he said, is I know when I'm done with them, they're going to call me into that room and tell me now that my job is done. And he had to live in all of that trauma in his own thoughts as he didn't know uh, what he was going to do with the rest of his life because he was older. Uh, God, give me mercy. There's an old church prayer throughout the tradition of the church. It goes way back, and it was just this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'd like you to say it with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now just pray it as a prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We need mercy. Again, the lady goes to the photographer and she wants nice pictures. She wants glamour shots. She wants to look really great and... Uh, the guy says, well, don't worry, I'll try to do you justice. She says, I don't want justice, I want mercy. You know, uh, God, give me mercy. In the Old Testament, God, in your wrath against sin, in your wrath against evil, pour out your mercy, still remember mercy, because I'm under attack. And he says in verse 1, 2, and 5, all day long, all day long, all day long. It just keeps coming 
at me. He says, I'm constantly, verse 2, hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. Constantly hounded. Boldly. Uh, you know, they're not being shy about coming. He wasn't king at this point. He's just the wannabe. And he's constantly under these attacks. Verse 3, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. We're finally getting to a hopeful statement. It starts with the word, but. All of this, he's in the presence of his enemies. He's calling out for mercy. People are attacking him all day long, constantly hounded, constantly under attack. Finally, he gets to the place. But here's what I've got going for me. When I am afraid, here's what I can do. I can put my trust in you. So what is the antidote for fear? Uh, look at the first two words. Here's a, in the top of the page. Give you a hint. It's trust. It's trust. You, you're like, you know, you, you seem like a nice guy, Inkerberg, and all that. You've been around a while. You're a little old and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give you a break here. But, you know, that's just kind of too naive, too simple. It, it just can't be as simple as if I trust God, I'm not going to be so afraid. Well, uh, I didn't say it. I'm quoting it. And you'll see it's over and over again in this psalm. So when the goblins come and ring your doorbell and when the uh, people come by dressed in their costumes and, you know, you got a missions week next week. One of the disgraceful numbers about America, in my opinion, is that uh, a lot of people, I'm, I'm not putting you down if you do this, but a lot of people buy costumes for their pets. You know, you got, a, thanks, you got a, a costume for your dog or your cat. And you take all the money that Americans spend on costumes for their pets at Halloween, and that's more money than all the money that everybody in America gives for world missions right now. More money goes to costumes for your pets than for the cause of raising people, reaching people around the world who don't know Jesus. There are billions of people in the world, about 73,000 are going to die today who've never heard once the plan of salvation. But we've got great costumes for our pets, you know. Priorities can get so skewed. It says... Uh, Spurgeon, if it's possible then for fear and faith to occupy the mind, it is possible to occupy the mind at the same moment. That's what I, I want to say. Don't just think that this is something that, okay, if I just trust, I'm never going to be afraid. No. Sometimes these things coexist. But here's our, here's our other word, which is uh, five points, trust. That's what we're trying to get to. Uh, he he noticed, you notice in, in, back in verse 3, he said, I am afraid, I will put my, tr my trust, all personal pronouns. Uh, I've realized that we've got a big problem in churches all over America. We have more fights in churches today than any time in my life. We have more uh, boards where the boards are fighting with each other, where the board's fighting with the pastor, where the pastors are fighting on the staff, and people in the church are unhappy, and, 
And uh, I know you've seen it here. I know you have. Every church in the world has seen it. People leave. They, they think this is something we ought to do. We're not doing it, so they take their ball and go home. And it's just devastating churches all over this country. And I've come to the conclusion that the core issue is a lack of trust. That, uh, that if the board people don't trust the pastor, there's going to be problems. If the people on the staff don't trust each other, they're going to be... And, and so trust is a key, not just for fear, but in my mind, it's one of those indispensable things we have to have in our relationship with God because if we don't have it, it all just starts to fall apart. Uh, Psalm 55, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He says he will. Do you trust that he'll be taking care of you? Well, look at the alternative. Here's, I, here's some statistics maybe that help you. Uh, how can you stay safe in this world today? Well, first of all, avoid riding in automobiles because they're responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents. Number two, uh, don't stay home because 17% of all accidents occur in the home. <laughs> Number three, avoid walking on streets or sidewalks because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians. Number four, avoid traveling by air, rail, or water because 16% of accidents come in these forms. Number five, of the remaining 33%, 32% of all deaths occur in hospitals. Uh, so above all, just avoid hospitals. And uh, you'll be pleased to learn that only 0.001% of all deaths occur in worship services. <laughs> so it's a safe place here. It's a safe place, and these are usually related to previous physical disorders, the ones that have. I've had uh, several people throughout my tenure as a pastor came in the church uh, one morning, and there was a, a man who was sleeping on one of the pews. And, you know, are you waiting to talk? Are you anything I can help you with? And he starts crying. He says, this is the only place I feel safe. I've had that happen a couple of times in my ministry where there is a sense that we have when we're together as God's people praising God, there is a, a synergy that happens of, of warmth and appreciation and safety as the body of Christ comes together. Verse 4, he takes it up a notch. I praise God for what he has promised. His what? Promises. Here's, uh, here's my definition of faith these days. Believing God's promises. I think that's what faith is. God promised me something, do I believe it or not? I'll never leave you or forsake you, believe it or not. I'll give you everlasting life, believe it or not. I'll take you to heaven when you, believe it or not. You have to choose whether you're going to, that's what faith, that's what trust is about. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? Do you see the change there? What, in the middle of that, what comes first? The fear or the trust? He had said in, in three, when I'm afraid, I'll trust. But he takes it up a notch in four. He says, you know what, there's a better way than that. I'm going to trust so that I'm not afraid. Now, uh, 
I like you guys. I like it here. Uh, I really do. I think this is a good church. I think you're good people. Uh, when Eric called and asked to preach the first time, I, I said, well, I'll try it once and see how it works, you know, and you might hate me. I might hate you. Who knows, you know, and... Uh, but I've come back a couple times now, you know, and, I, and I, it's because I like, I like you. The church of the people, not the building. I like the church. I like you. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, I know, I know this seems so simple, but this is so helpful if you can catch this. When I will trust and not be afraid. I, I, I live in a scary world. Bill Bright used to say, before you watch the evening news, you should say three times, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Then you can watch the news, because otherwise it'll drive you crazy. And you know, uh, in this kind of a, of, a, of a wild world, how are we going to exist and live and find any kind of peace and semblance of sanity And it's so simple, but it's so hard. Uh, you know, somebody says to you, hey, uh, here's, here's a great key in life. Don't ever get in debt. Okay, well, that's great, except I need a car. Oh, I got to buy a house. Or, it's, you know, things sound so simple. Uh, hey, here's the key. Just trust God and don't give in to the fear. Yeah. It's not a simple thing to trust God. It is something you work at and you develop because the alternative of living in, in fear that kind of keeps grabbing a, heart, a hold of your heart is devastating and will destroy your peace and sanity. And you can take all the serotonin uptake inhibitors in the world and you're still going to struggle. We've got to get back to our faith. I, I see so many churches all around the country who've just gone away from the gospel, gone away from the scriptures, gone away from the church being the church and getting involved in politics and getting involved in everything else in the world. And, and where is the sense of reaching our community? I love what you're doing with Raggedy Chin. And, you know, we've got to get it out there. We've got to let people know that we're warm-hearted, loving people, and we care about them, and we care about their kids, and we care about their life. But ultimately, we care more about their eternal destiny than anything else in the world. And whether you vote Republican or Democrat is not the most important issue in life because it's much more important because where are you going to spend eternity? And our job is to keep people out of hell and fight against the evil one who's trying to destroy the sanity in this world and create more and more dissension and problems and struggles in life. We don't need that. He said in the uh, 23rd Psalm, I will not be afraid, for you're close beside me. 27, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Why should I be afraid? I've got God, I, I'm not going to be afraid. He has to keep saying it, though. 27.3, though a mighty army surround me. He knows this. He lived this. My heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I'll remain confident. So back to verse 4. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? 
uh, early on in my ministry, more so than these days. We used to, when people would visit the church, we would, you know, go visit them. And later, and uh, I was in the south uh, suburbs of Chicago at a church in a town called uh, uh, Palos Hills. And I had to go visit people, and I was a little nervous to do it myself. But I had a guy in my church named Dave Hale. And uh, as long as Dave was with me, I felt okay. Now, Dave had been a defensive tackle with the Chicago Bears. He was 6'8", 250. And everywhere that Dave went with me, I was never afraid to go into anybody's house because Dave was with me. And you know what, friends? What can people do to you? Because you got a guy bigger than Dave on your side. You got the creator of everything. He says, they're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. I, I, I know some kind, wonderful, loving people who I've known for decades, and I know they're good people. And yet I know that people at times in life, for one reason or another, have turned against them and, and just kind of driven them up the wall. It's like here, six, they come together to spy on me, watching my every uh, step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O oh Lord, bring them down. Nelson Mandela after his years in prison, said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. It's, it's not a sin to, to have fear. It's, it's part of what probably uh, saved your relatives from getting killed by bears or whatever else came at them but it can be devastating for us in the world where we have so many numbing fears. Verse 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You want to know how much God cares about you? You want to know why it matters that he's on your side? You keep track of all my sorrows. He has a collection of every tear you ever cried in your life. I mean, it, it is really phenomenally unbelievable uh, that people, that anyone would care about you as much as God does. And it says it over and over and over again in the Bible. You are not alone. You have a God who loves you and cares for you, who knows how many hairs to the number on top of your head getting easier with some of you as the time goes on. And, you know, takes all of your tears, recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. Read that last line together with me. Ready? God is on my... Again, with passion. God. I praise God for what he's promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he's promised. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come. The mountains crumble in the sea. Psalm 91, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God. I trust him. I trust him. Henrietta Muir said, if I had my life to live over again, I'd believe more. 
Verse 11, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? He repeats what he said in verse 4. He repeats it for repetition. Trust in God, don't give in to fear. Uh, I just, you know, came back from Estonia on uh, Tuesday, and uh, on the airplane they have seats that look like this, and these are the, what's called kind of the economy section. Now, if you want to go to heaven in the economy section, here's how you do it. Every time you're afraid, trust God. But you find out they've got these other seats real up front that are real nice. If you want to go first class, I will trust, not be afraid. I'll trust and not be afraid. Uh, wouldn't it be great to just live with no fear, to experience the glorious liberty of being God's child, the, the liberty and freedom that we have in Jesus, and to know that God loves you and cares about you. So how does David respond to that? I'll fulfill my vows to you, God. I'll offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help, for you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping, so I can walk in your presence, God, in your life-giving light. Close with two things we know. Number one, 2 Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear. When fear comes, here's what I know about it. God didn't send it. I don't think that necessarily means it's always the devil. Sometimes it's just your human instincts. Sometimes it's your re reflexes from driving or something that's happened in life, and it's what may keep you alive. It's not all bad, but a spirit of fear does not come from God. He has not given you a, a spirit of timidity and always being afraid of things, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's what he gives us. Number one, you know God doesn't send the fear. Number two, you know that Jesus is with you. Don't be afraid. Jesus said, take courage, I am here. So I'm getting ready to leave Estonia. I notice I'm not getting uh, the thing you get from the airlines, you know, time to sign in for your flight. I, I'm tired. I've been there for three weeks, you know, preached in five different churches and led a week-long pastor's retreat and been tra constantly traveling driving, different hotels, all that. I'm just tired. I just want to get home. I'm going to leave on a flight the next morning at uh, 6 o'clock. I've got a 3.30 wake-up call. I'm all ready to go, except I haven't gotten the thing from a boarding pass. So I, I, I try to get a hold of the airlines and say, uh, where is it? And I'm going on the website. I sign in, and they say, you don't, have a, you don't have a seat on the plane. So I call... I booked on United, I, I call United, I can't even get United, I get some kind of a texting thing, and the texting guy says, you canceled your flight. I, I, like, I said, believe me, I did not cancel the flight, number one. Number two, if I would have, you would have sent me an email that said I canceled it, and I would have realized something went fluey. I never got that email. And they said, well, you canceled your flight. I said, look, I almost start crying. I just want to get home. I'm exhausted. I just want to get home. And I'm working on this sermon. <laughs> uh, I'm trusting. I'm trying to trust. I'm trying to. And I'm like, 
emotionally spent, okay? Finally, the text says, the only thing I can do for you is I can sell you a ticket. We have seats on your flight. You can't have, you can't have them, but you can buy them for thousands of dollars. And I'm going back and forth, and how can I, you know, I just finally said, look, just get me home. I'll fight with United when I get home. I just have to get home. You know what that feels like? You ever have stuff like that? What I'm saying is, it's easy to stand up here and talk about this. <laughs> I know this is hard stuff. I just don't know any other way to live but that when I can't control the fear, I've got to turn it into trust. And it's better yet to go first class and just trust and not be afraid. So help us to do it, Lord Jesus. Together we said, would you stand with me for a benediction?